Welcome to Chapter 1 of HealthSystemCIO.com's Health IT Influencer Spotlight with former CIO Bill Spooner. In this segment, Spooner talks about how the dire financial situation in the 1990s pushed the industry to become more innovative, why he isn't surprised that workflow remains a challenge, and the biggest mistake organizations make with EHR implementations. Hi, Bill. Thank you again for taking some time to speak with us today. Thank you. Good to talk with you, Kate. Good to be here. So I want to get some of your thoughts on where the industry is today, what needs to happen, but then also look back at, at uh, your own career. And um, probably the, the best place to start is by talking a bit about your time as CIO. And you were with Sharp for uh, quite a while, right? Yes, I was with Sharp. Actually, I was in San Diego with Sharp for 32 years. I actually have 35 years tenure because I was with a related organization before going down to San Diego. Okay. So I don't have to tell you that that is very rare to have spent um, pretty much all of your career with one organization. It is uh, rare, but you know, interestingly, when you look, look at health systems, you'll see a lot of long-time employees of 40 and 50 years, people that make my tenure look short. I think that's part of the nature of uh, health systems and hospitals. Yeah. Now, during that time, I can imagine that there were several different periods of transition, maybe some more than other. Looking back, what is the time period where you think that things really, where, where there was just like the most transition, the most change? You know, it's really hard to, to pick one area that had the most change. But yeah. where I was in San Diego at Sharp Healthcare, the, the period of the 1990s was really pivotal for us because we were emerging into an integrated delivery network, having started from a single prosperous, successful, high-quality hospital, but then decided that we wanted to grow across the county. And the uh, financial situation was really tough during the 1990s because reimbursements were getting cut. Managed care was coming into California, and uh, all of a sudden we were being paid a capitated payment and having to figure out how to provide the services for it. And that pushed us into doing a lot of uh, innovative things in the financial management area, and it was pretty neat to be able to, to participate in it in terms of providing some innovative IT solutions to support them. Right. So in a lot of ways, I'm sure that that was pretty cutting edge. It was cutting edge at the time, yes. Mm -hmm. We had uh, close to a half a million uh, capitated lives that we were responsible for. Mm -hmm. And interestingly, the organization learned how to provide high-quality care and be profitable doing so. Oh, okay. I'm sure that that's something that, that has served the organization well, having that experience. It, it, well, it is interesting because I'm still – as I look at the value-based purchasing models that we see emerging, there are various twists of the same the same ideas, and I think I said, oh, gee, we did that 25 years ago. Yeah. But but it's fun to see how it is starting to grow around the country, and organizations are are really seriously looking at how to provide better care within a within a budget. Yeah. And now, in terms of digitization, is that something where Sharp was somewhat ahead of the curve? We went in, in leaps and bounds. We really spent a lot of effort, as I said, during the 1990s, mm -hmm. trying to 
make our financial management systems more effective and to really learn how to manage care. But we also were having to generate outcomes indicators, uh, basically develop clinical outcomes without an electronic health record. And so we, we started learning to uh, develop our own data warehouse, which started out as a server under one person's desk. Oh, wow. and, and pulling claims data and, and getting the clinical elements out of it. And so it was a lot of experimentation at that time. Um, yeah. But at the same time, we knew that the next step in, in the evolution was an electronic health record. And I forget exactly the date, but some, one time in the, around 1995, we did a study to determine what it was going to take us to get to an electronic uh, medical record, as we call it at the time. Essentially, the, the outcome of that study was uh, keep doing what you're doing for right now. Products aren't mature. You're doing a lot of good things. Wait a few years. And that's what we did. And uh, as we approached the new century, we started making investments that took us a little at a time to what has turned into a pretty robust environment. Right. It seems like that study had some very good learnings from it as far as before you get into this, the technology is not mature enough or, or the organization isn't ready. And that, that seems like an approach that could really be useful for a lot of organizations. It was, it was good for us. We, we were a wealthy organization. As I mentioned, through the 90s, the financials were very tight. We had to make smart investments. And as we made an investment, we really looked carefully. We didn't buy anything that we didn't need. We yeah. tended to negotiate very, very thoroughly. Uh, we, we really were looking to get the best results for, for the investments that we were making. Right. And with high tech, do you think that for organizations, it was more difficult to have that mindset because now there were timelines and, and penalties being faced? I think it became difficult because we – we all ran to the trough, yeah. and you know, I was, I was really proud in our organization because we had begun, and as many organizations said, we had begun implementing our medical record systems well before high tech came around. Yeah. And so, especially in our hospitals and our medical groups, we saw the money that was coming in as really bonus, as recovery of the investments that we had already made. Yeah. Uh, I think that the real value out of high tech was in helping to the outfit the the small physician practices and perhaps the small hospitals because um, many large practices and most hospitals and health systems were already moving down a path uh, before high tech. Clearly high tech increased the, the utilization of electronic health records. At the same time, many of us were, were ahead of the game. I think right. overall, you know, we, we can all debate it, but meaningful use was the, the gotcha that we, did, we didn't really appreciate when the money's first started coming in. It's one of those things that lives forever. Yeah. And today I, I question whether, whether it was the right idea at the time. Right. Well, how, how many uh, years later we're still talking about workflow challenges, which is still really a, you know, a pressing matter for a lot of organizations. And does it surprise you that that workflow is an issue that still comes up so much, even though most organizations have been in the EHR world for a while now? It surprises me from a, one perspective and it doesn't from another. Mm. Some of the meaningful use requirements required, you know, a lot of change in a short period of time. And you can argue that 18 months or a year is not a long time, but when you're talking about, about altering the way an organization practices medicine and patient care, it is a long time. And so many of the 
requirements around meaningful use were not put in necessarily in the most optimal way. It was a way to somehow to collect the data and often where it was not in the normal workflow. On the other hand, there's a lot of variation in healthcare workflow and typically we all believe that our method is best. So you're trying to adapt this system that, that a vendor has produced for you with some flexibility with your workflows that you've developed over the years that have a lot of flexibility. And to bring the two of them together into a, a way that really allows you to collect the data efficiently and to practice the kind of care you want to practice is a challenge. Yeah. So I guess it shouldn't surprise me. Yeah. And it seems like workflow is really something that has to be addressed continuously because there are always being changes made. But do you think that that's something that's enough of a priority or perhaps CIOs and organizations need to uh, do more to make sure that workflow is being assessed continuously and not just during an implementation? I think that most organizations have learned over the years that optimization is an ongoing process. Mm-hmm. When you purchase a system, the vendor wants to get it implemented. They want to collect their money. They want you to be effective in, in, in using the system. But there are compromises to meet the timetable. And some of the compromises are, are that some features are left out in terms of implementation. Uh, you overlook some workflow challenges going in, and uh, you recognize that you have to go back into it later. Uh, at the same time, I think there's still the mindset, despite years of, of learning, that when you bring in a team of people to implement the system, and when the system is implemented, you're going to be able to cut back some of that staffing without yeah. recognizing that the work's not complete. Right. And so that slows down the optimization process. Right. Now, looking at, at some of the, the work you've been doing as a consultant, um, I imagine that there are probably a variety of, of issues that you're dealing with, but is there a specific area where you're kind of focusing your energies right now? Well, I... I've been fairly flexible in terms of the things that I've been doing, and I, and I like to call it as an advisor rather than a consultant. A, a colleague back at Sharp told me that an advisor doesn't write reports and a consultant has to, so I try to call myself an advisor and, and avoid writing reports. But uh, I've done some work around strategy with a, a team of people. We like to go in and do quick and dirty IT assessments, uh, in one case, it was where a CIO was retiring and they wanted to have a quick look at the organization to determine what they need in a new CIO. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so a couple of weeks' worth of effort on a couple of organizations where they were having problems in their IT shop and they needed some help both to coach the internal staff to help uh, bring some of the vendors in line and really to make some overall improvements. Some of these have been, as I said, a couple of weeks long. Um, one was six or seven months long. So, you know, different kinds of projects like that. I've done a, an interim CIO gig. I've done an interim executive VP level assignment in another organization. Um, I've done a couple of projects helping out a vendor understand what problems its customers have had. So not, not a specific area. I will say honestly that when I left Sharp, I had the uh, idea that given all of our experience in value-based purchasing, that there was probably some demand in that area, and that really hasn't turned out. I think most organizations are inventing their own, such as we did, and other organizations are hiring the big shops to help them with their, with their work. 
there hasn't really been a demand for independents or small firms to do that. It's hmm. kind of surprising, but I guess that it was surprising change. to me. But that's fine. Yeah. And, and I will say, outside of consulting, I spent a lot of time in terms of, of voluntary work. I, I continue with the on the fringes of the Chime Policy Committee. I've been on that from the beginning. It's interesting work, and it's things that need to be done in terms of trying to influence regulation and legislation. I have spent the past six months approximately as uh, actively participating in the opioid task force. You know, that's become a real big interest, and I, I've, I'm spending time here locally uh, with the various providers trying to learn uh, what's going on in northeast Tennessee because this is a real problem area in terms of yeah. opioid addiction. Uh, that's never-ending frustrating but rewarding at the same time. I helped the local health system, again, as a, in a volunteer capacity, create a board IT committee back in the fall, and it finally just launched this uh, a couple of weeks ago. So I'm a member of that IT committee. I joined the, the board committee around risk and compliance for another a large health system. And all of that's really interesting, rewarding. It keeps my fingers in the game, tries to keep me fresh. Yeah. Thank you for listening to this podcast from healthsystemcio.com. To hear other podcasts, visit our website or subscribe to our account in iTunes at healthsystemcio.com backslash podcast.